Uh, we started this church um, really with a call from God to go back to where the church that we came from started. Uh, you know, we started this church from Moanalua Gardens Missionary Church. Um, the, uh, the claim to fame of Moanalua Gardens Missionary Church is that the, the, the senior pastor there is Micah Chinin's dad, right? So, you know, that's, yeah, Micah is not Cal's son. Cal is Micah's dad. So, <clears throat> started there. But Moanalua Gardens Missionary Church started uh, as a Kakako mission right here in Kakako, you know. In fact, um, the uh, former athletic director at McKinley High School, uh, Mr. Neil Takamori, um, he used to go to a Kakako mission. And then later they moved over uh, to uh, Moana Lua. And when we were contemplating starting the church, you know, everyone was saying, go west, young man. Or, well, not, go west, man, because I wasn't really young. <laughs> go west, man. <clears throat> and uh, because that's where all the new construction and new houses and, and all that. And, and like I said, that was conventional church planning strategy is you go where all the new families and new houses are. The only problem was God was saying, go back to Kakako where it started. And, um, and so we went, we've, we came here on a promise, uh, a call from God, but also a promise. And then in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 24, it says, the one who calls you, God who calls you is faithful and he will do it. And so we thought, well, we're not sure where, where are we going to go, where are we going to meet, what are we going to do? We didn't know any of that. All we knew, God says, I'm calling you back to Kaka'ako, start there, all right? And then we just, you know, and I'm faithful. Whatever I call you to do, I'm going to do it. And so one of the first things that we needed to do was we needed to find an office, right? Because we didn't have a place to meet, and, you know, we would have meetings, and we needed to prepare and to... Um, you know, work on certain things, get groups together, uh, where would our worship team practice, and all these kind of things. And so um, we needed to find an office. And so, um, you know, we uh, got the help of a realtor, uh, commercial property manager, a uh, realtor actually, and we started to look at spaces for our office. You know, not really sure what we're looking for. We had some idea, and we looked at a whole lot of places. You know, and as we looked, you know, I had a better idea. Okay, this is what I know what we need based on what God has called us. And so every time before we'd go out, we just pray. Say, God, will you lead us to the office that you would like us to be, you know? And, you know, we had gone to a whole bunch. And some of you all like open houses and stuff like that. I don't like open houses and stuff like that. I don't like going to to you know, look at um, property and all these kind of things. So I remember one day we were looking at a place, and this was after looking at about you know, 10, 11, 12 other places, and it really wasn't ideal. I mean, it really wasn't, the location wasn't that good, and it was occupied by um, a print shop you know, earlier, and there was chemicals and smells all over the place. You know? And uh, looking around, we would need to do a lot of work in that office, you know, like, okay, maybe we can build a wall here, make a little office and open up here, and I've got to clean the, the, get rid of the carpet because it all smells of chemicals and all that. And, um, you know, about three or four of us went down, and honestly, nobody was really excited, 
right? It was like, man, this is like, okay, another place. And, um, you know, I remember thinking that, man, you know, I'm just getting tired of looking for offices. And I kind of thought, you know, we really needed to get an office and feeling the pressure, right? And I knew that this office space really wasn't ideal. We had prayed and had no sense at all that this was the right office, you know, but we really needed something, right? And then so I thought, I wonder if we needed to settle for plan B, right? Maybe this isn't God's best. You know, maybe after 10, 15 years, the chemical smell will all leave, you know? I don't know. And, and you know, I began to think, maybe we should settle for a plan B because it doesn't seem like God is leading us anywhere. That nothing was, was really, really happening and, and maybe something or anything would be better than nothing, right? And so uh, I thought, well, maybe it was time to move, move forward with plan B. And I was seriously considering maybe we should meet in that office. And, you know, I was thinking about that. You know, have you ever been in a situation like that, you know? that you're kind of wondering if God is really there and if his promise that he's made to you is really true and that he is working all things together for our good, you know, and for your good, and, 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 and is he there? And it, it might be discouraging and frustrating, and you're, if you're like me, you're kind of thinking, maybe it's time to go to plan B. Maybe instead of waiting for God, Maybe I need to go and make something happen, right? That, that at least i got to do something. You know, and some of us, some of you might be as impatient as I am. Like I said, you know, like in traffic, some of you are really great people. You just wait in traffic, right? It goes, you know, two miles an hour. But, but others of you will just go back roads here and there. And you might, you know, it might be like five miles to where you're actually going, but you went about 15 miles, but in your mind, you're thinking, at least you're moving, you know, right? right? And, and it's like, at least I'm doing something because you just don't want to sit there. And, and there are times when you feel like maybe doing something <clears throat> is better than nothing. And that plan B may not be God's best, but at least it's something that we're doing and moving forward in. And, you know, have you ever felt like that? You know, maybe you're in a situation like that right now. Well, that's pretty much where Abraham was and what he was feeling as we pick up his story this week in Genesis 15. We've been looking through the story of Abraham as we make our way through the Bible. And what we've been talking about is, you know, we, we, we're just kind of looking at key stories in the Bible, making our way through. And that, we, that you know, we really want to, to let you all know that the Bible is real. You know, and the Bible is all about real people and who's going through real life. That the Bible isn't just fairy tales, you know, it isn't like fables. This is real people, real life. And they go to real challenges like you and I. And that God gives them real answers. And the hope with that is that when we read the Bible, God will speak to us and God will meet us where we're at and he'll give us answers, real answers, for any situation we're in, you see? And as we look at the story of Abraham now, 
Abraham's in a place. And, um, you know, it's been a really exciting season for Abraham, right? Remember, God had called him and all this, and it was really exciting. A lot of things were happening, but it was also kind of frustrating for Abraham. You know, because although all these neat things were happening, he was still childish, childless. You know, that he received this promise from God, but after not seeing it come to fruition, he was getting tempted to move to plan B. And there's some things we can learn, especially if you're in a situation like that. And so let's pray. Let's ask God for some help as we look and we pick up Abraham's story here in Genesis 15. Let's pray. Father, we just ask you to come and to speak to us. And we just say, Holy Spirit, will you just illumine your word? Will you illumine the word, the written word of God, the Bible, that it would become alive to us, that we would have eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts that are open, and that you would speak to each one of us right where we're at. We just thank you, Father, for your love for us. We thank you that you're here. And we just say, come, Holy Spirit, just come. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, if you turn to your notes, you know, first thing is this. As we look at Abraham's situation, one of the things we can look and see first is that God is a promise-making and he's a promise-keeping God. That God is a promise-making, but he's also a promise-keeping God. God had chosen Abraham. God had called Abraham. God had given Abraham some amazing promises. Two weeks ago, we looked at God's call to Abraham and the promises in Genesis 12, verse 1 to 3. And it says, the Lord has said to Abram, go from your country, remember? And, you know, your people, your father's household, and go to this land I'm going to show you. You know, leave everything behind and go to this unknown land that I'm going to show you. And I'm going to make you into this great nation. And that you're going to be a blessing. In fact, you're going to bless all the people of the earth. And God promised that he would make him into a great nation. At a time when Abraham was far from God, and he was far from being a great nation. And then last week, you know, Pastor Max shared how Abraham was chosen of God to, to kick off his rescue mission to save the world. And he received this amazing promise that he was going to be a great nation with what? With much land and with much offspring. Genesis 13, 14 says, The Lord said to Abraham, after Lot had parted, uh, look around from where you are, the north, the south, the east, and the west. All the land that you, know, you, will, you see, I will give to you and your offspring forever. I will make your offspring like the dust of the earth, so that if anyone could count the dust, then your offspring could be counted. Go, walk through the length and the breadth of the land, for I am giving it to you. And God gives us this amazing promise. And he gives his promise that, that, that he would bless Abraham with much descendants and much land at a time when he had neither property or land or children, you know? And then as we go on in Genesis, we see that the, in the land, they're in the land that God had given them, and Abraham, you know, like you said, Abraham and Lot, they, they headed out into different parts of the land, and kings from the north came down, and they invaded and they, uh, especially where Lot was, and, and took over all that stuff, took Lot, 
took all their stuff, took them all prisoner, right? And um, Abraham catches wind of that, and he gathers his men, a group of about 317 men, right? And they go after the, these kings from the north and all their armies, right? So I guarantee you there's more than 317 of them. And, and yet, God was true to his promise. And in verse 14, Genesis 14, 14, it says, When Abraham heard that his relatives had been taken captives, he called out the 318, 718 men born in his household and went to pursuit as far as Dan during the night, divided his man, and, you know, what happens is what? He rescues Lot, rescues all the stuff, and brings them back, you know. And God promised Abraham that he would be blessed with land, and he gives Abraham this amazing, this miraculous victory. And what we see is that there's this great things that are happening in Abraham's life. And remember, it all started in his call when he was 70 years old. And, and all these amazing things. And so we pick up the story here in Genesis 15, verse 1. He says, after this, all right, after all this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield and your very great reward. Or some of your versions would say, and I, your reward shall be very great. And after all this had going on, looking forward to what was ahead, God gives Abraham a promise that I'm going to be with you. Your reward's going to be great. My promises for you will stand. And I'm going to make sure it happens. I'm going to be here protecting you every step along the way. Don't be afraid, Abraham. Don't be afraid, you know. No matter what you face, I'm going to be your shield. That I'm going to be true to my promises. And God is this promise-making, promise-keeping God. And he's this God who is faithful. And he will continue to be faithful. And, and so what are the promises that God has given you? And maybe you think, well, I don't know if God has ever promised me anything. The Bible is full of God's promises to us. One of the real values of reading his word is he speaks to us, and he, there are so many promises in his Bible. You know, here's one that I grab hold of all the time, you know, Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Don't be anxious for anything. But in every situation, but by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your mind in Christ Jesus. That's an amazing promise. Do you ever get worried about things? Are you stressed about things? No matter what it is, God says, come to me. You know, with prayer, you come to me in prayer. Let me know what's going on in your life. Come to me with thanksgiving in your heart. Share your requests. And I'll tell you what, no matter what, I'm going to guard you. From head to toe, inside and out, I'm not going to guard you with my peace. And I go to this, Philippians 4, 6, and 7, all the time. You know, over the last eight months, as my daughter is in Los Angeles, right? In which she's coming home in 11 days and six hours, well, five and a half hours on United Airlines, you know, all this stuff. I pray that. And I say, God, I'm coming to you. You know, I'm asking you, please. Be faithful to your promise and give me, give me your peace. You know? And he does because he is his promise-making, promise-keeping God. Now, God is that. 
But the second thing is this. When you can't see, you're so tempted to turn to plan B, right? Man, when we just can't see, it's so easy. And so easy to be tempted to turn to plan B, right? You know? In Genesis chapter 15, verse 2, Abraham, see, God tells them this. It's going to be great. It's going to be great. I'm your shield. I'm going to protect you. You know that I'm going to be with you. Your reward's going to be great. Verse 2, but, but, but Abram said, Sovereign Lord, God, Yahweh, who is above everything else, you're the sovereign God. Nothing happens outside of your control, God. He said, what can you give me since I remain childless? And the one who inherits my estate will be Eleazar of Damascus. And Abram said, you have given me no children, so servant in my household <clears throat> will be my heir. Now God's promise came to Abraham about 10 to 15 years old, earlier. So he's in his 80s maybe, getting older, he's looking, and he says, man, God's been faithful. God's been good, you know, giving me all these great victories. God has given me some amazing promises, you know, but, but I don't see it all happening because I need at least a kid before I can have a whole bunch of descendants, you got to start with one. And I don't have anything right now. And I don't know how it's all going to work out. Because, you know, the biological clock is ticking. And I don't know if this is going to work out. Right? And so he's saying, plan A, God's promise, isn't seem to be working out. And so he kind of comes up with a plan B. And in those days, if a man was childless, the laws said that you could adopt one of your servants, you know, to make sure that the estate didn't fall into someone else's hand. And so you could designate and adopt one of your trusted servants. And if you do have a child, that child will have a double portion, you know, and then the servant will be next in line. And if you remain childless, then the servant would be your heir. And so looking at the situation, Abraham believes that, hey, you know, he needs to come up with a plan B and decides, yeah, that's a good idea. You know, Eliezer, he, he will be my heir. You know, that's how it's going to work out. It's not what God promised really, you know, but I see it as a way of God's promise to be a great nation and all these things coming to fruition. At least he got it there now. See, have you been in a situation like that? You know, you don't see things happening, feel like you got to make something happening, so you come up with a plan B. Man, that's so easy to come up with plan B, you know. And in the midst of that, right in his discouragement, right in this situation, God responds with what we need. That's the amazing thing to me, that God responds right where we are to what we need, you know. And um, <clears throat> if I'm God... And Abraham is saying, hey, you know my servant? I said, Abraham, haven't you learned by now? You know, come here, a couple slaps, you know, whatever. But look what God does. God responds with what we need. And when we're in a situation like that, waiting on God's promises, becoming impatient and discouraged, God will respond and give us what we need. Here's some examples. In the Bible, we see people who, you know, because this is what I love, right? 
The Bible is full of real people. And a lot of times we think, oh, the people in the Bible, they're like superhuman. They're like, whoa. But they're like you and I. King David, greatest king in all of Israel, in Psalm 13, verse 1, says, How long, Lord? How long will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemies triumph over me? This is King David. It's like you and I. You know, he gets discouraged. You know, he gets frustrated and he cries out to God. Habakkuk, the prophet, in Habakkuk chapter 1, verse 2. And that's another great name. If any of you are pregnant and you're thinking, what am I going to name my kid? Habakkuk is a great name. I guarantee you, no one in his class will have the name Habakkuk. You know, that's a great name, you know? You know? And then just imagine you have him, and then you have another one, another really, really name that I love is what? Zerubbabel. That's another great name. Here are my two sons, Habakkuk and Zerubbabel. Man, it's like great. No one else will have those names. You won't be able to find the little, you know, the little license for your bike. You know, there's no Zerubbabel on there. But, but you know what? You have unique names. Because I know some of you all like to have unique names, right? You know, you know, you know parents now be like unique names. What do you call your kid? I'm going to call him Branch. Like, what? <laughs> How come? I don't know. Just Branch from my, myself. You know, maybe I'll call him Leaf. You know, I don't know, right? But you want to have a unique name. Zerubbabel, Habakkuk. Good. Anyway, I don't know why I got off on that. <laughs> Habakkuk, the prophet, verse, verse 2. How long, Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen, or, or cry out to you violence, but you do not save? How long? I've got to wait. I've been waiting. I'm your prophet. You know? And they cry out to God. And here's the thing. God doesn't condemn them as they cry out to him. He meets them right where they are. That he knows what they need and he responds, just like with Abraham. How does he respond to Abraham? You know, what does he say? He doesn't scold Abraham. He doesn't tell Abraham, you have no right to question me because yes, I am the sovereign Lord. No. What Abraham needed was reassurance. And that's what God gives to him. In verse 4, then the word of the Lord came to, came to him, came to Abram. This man will not be your heir, but a son. See, you're going to have a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. And he took him outside and said, look at the sky, count the stars. If indeed, you can count them. And then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And God encourages Abraham by reaffirming his promises to him. And to Abraham's credit, at that point, you know, he's there, he hears God, looks up, and in verse 6, Abraham believed the Lord, and he credited it to him as righteousness. And at that moment, when he thought, man, it's not going to work out, I'll go to plan B, God responds, and he says, Abraham, it's not your heir. You're going to have a son. Your own flesh and blood is going to be your son. You know, look up in the sky. My promises is still good. It's still good. And then God goes beyond by making a covenant with him. In verse 18, on that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram and said to your descendants, I give this land from the wadi of Egypt 
to the great river, the Euphrates, and all the ites, Kenites, Kezerites, termites, all of them, you know, Jebusites, all of them. He makes this covenant with him saying that I'm going to make a binding contract with you. And what a covenant was, was this binding contract between two parties, and that the two parties would cut an animal. Here God had, you know, Abram cut a whole bunch of animals, and that they would pass down between the halves and declaring, you know, to each other, may I be like this animal if I ever break this covenant. And it was a visual sign. says, Abraham, I am with you. My promises are good. I'm going to make a covenant with you. And Abraham knew about covenants. As I'm making this covenant with you, that I want you to know that I am absolutely serious about my promises. I am a promise-making God, but I am a promise-keeping God. Now, why do you think God would do that? It was because Abraham needed assurance that the promise of descendants and a child so late in life was going to be really, really difficult for Abraham to grasp, right? When Abraham would struggle with this in the future, and we're going to see that he does, God wanted him to have something powerful in his mind reminding him of that day and that God keeps his promises. And that's kind of what happens, right? God is this promise-making, promise-keeping God. And we get discouraged, and when we can't see, is so tempted to turn to plan B. God there, he reassures us. And it's like, man, you know, just keep staying the course. But here's the thing that we got to remember, right? If you're like me, you're tempted, always tempted to turn to plan B. We got to remember that plan B is never going to be as good as God's plan A. That's never going to be as good. Never. As logical and rational and as sensible as plan B can seem. I don't got any kids. I'm in my 80s. So is my wife. It's good servant here. You know, can't have a son, but he can be my heir. And I can still be a great nation, God, because you know that through him, many descendants. And it sounds reasonable, but it's never going to be as good as God's plan A. And that's because God's plan is the best. And all the rest kind of pale in comparison. That when we come up with a plan B out of desperation or frustration or whatever it is, if you're like me, you look back, plan B's rarely turn out that well anyway, right? When you go to plan B, it's kind of don't work out. And Abraham is a man of faith. Over and over, it talked about the faith of Abraham. But he's also human, you know, that he's a real person, see? And that's an encouraging thing to me. He's not superhuman. He has this great faith, but he's human. He's a real person living a real life. Not having children in his 80s was real, this isn't some fairy tale. This is real, right? And, and he's facing this challenge. And like all of us, when faced with the challenges, you know, we always got a choice. We're going to trust God for his answers or maybe kind of come up with a plan B, right? And eventually, Abraham, being the man of faith that he is, that, that he would trust God completely and and he's going to see his answer in his son Isaac. But 
Here in this chapter of his story, in his life, even after being encouraged and reassured by God, Abraham, human, slips and he gives in to the lure of plan B. Genesis 16, verse 1. Sarai, Abraham's wife, had borne him no children, but she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. And so she says to Abraham, The Lord has kept me from having kids, so go sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Abraham agreed to what Sarah had said. And so, Abraham, um, so after Abraham had been living in Canaan for 10 years, Sarah, his wife, took her Egyptian slave Hagar and he gave her to her husband to be his wife, slept with her, and she conceived. Abraham gives in to the temptation, and he goes to plan B. What were the results of plan B? Well, we go on in verse 4. When she knew she was pregnant, she, be, uh, she, be, she, began, um, she began to despise her mistress. And Sarah said to Abraham, you are responsible for the wrong I am suffering. I put my slave in your arms, and now she knows she's pregnant. She despises me. May the, ju- may the Lord judge between you and I. Your slave is in your hand. Abraham said, do with her whatever you think best. And Sarah mistreated Hagar, Hagar and so she fled from her. And we see, what's the result? Strife. Strife and conflict in their marriage. You know, plan B was, was really... Not all that it was hoped to be. We see broken relationships. We see mistreatment going on. Um, A trusted servant, now pregnant, being banished from her home. And that's not all. Verse 11. The angel of the Lord also said to her, You are now pregnant, and you will give birth to a son. You will name him Ishmael, for the Lord has heard your misery. He will be a wild donkey of a man. His hands will be against everyone, and everyone's hands will be against him. And he will live in hostility toward all his brothers. And we also see that this child and later his descendants and all the descendants of the promised son of Abraham would always be in conflict. There would always be a conflict there. And, you know, the conflict continues on to today, you know. And if you look at that, you know, we're going to look and, and uh, it's hard because we see and, and we see plan B doesn't really work out the way we would like it to. That it made sense. It seemed reasonable, but it caused strife, you know, there's this mistreatment, it caused all kinds of things. And the results even go on today, and it's not good results. And we look at this, and we say, Abraham, after all that, you know, you still give in and you move to plan B. What is God going to do? What is God going to say? And, and, and God is amazing. That God is this promise-making, promise-keeping God who comes and encourages us when we need it. And he's still in the picture here with Abraham. That he's still there. That incredibly, in spite of Abraham coming up with a plan B, God keeps his covenant with Abraham. And we see that even in his advanced age, Abraham would have a son with his wife Sarah. And he would have six other sons with his second wife, Keturah, when Sarah, you know, dies. And so we see that God remained faithful to the covenant that he made with Abraham. See, that God is there, that God is faithful. 
And even when we mess up, that God is there. Have you ever been in a situation like Abraham? You know, you've been waiting on this promise from God. Seems like, man, not working out. You know, you find yourself, you know, just like running out of patience. And you begin to think of plan B. What I would say to you is let the Holy Spirit speak to you. And encourage you to trust God even when you can't see it happening. You've got to trust God. You trust God. Ask Him to build your faith. Ask Him to encourage you. And then you just rest as best you can. You just rest in that reassurance. And then you heed the lessons in Abraham's story. That, that we do worship our promise-making, promise-keeping God. That he will reassure us. Even when we mess up, he's there and he's faithful to his promise. That God loves us and God loves you so much that he sent his son Jesus to die for you. See? God loves us. You know? God loved Abraham. And, you know, it's like, after all that, how easy it would have been for God to say, oh, Abraham, you blew it. Made your bed. Oh, well. Oh, well. Got to go with what you got. See what happens. Good luck, buddy. No. He keeps his covenant. You know? And God will keep his promises to you. And again, that's the preciousness of his word. You know? There's so many promises there. God is promising you so much. That he's saying, don't turn to plan B. Right? I'm going to call the worship team up. See, I just say stuff like that, and then they magically appear from that door or from the front row. See? Look at that. <clears throat> he's going to go get them. But here's the thing. Right? You might be in a situation like Abraham. You might have been waiting and waiting. God, God, I've been waiting. I sense you telling me something. But it's not happening. It ain't happening. You know? And maybe right now you're just kind of tempted and thinking, well, you know what? I think I can do this. I think I can do that. You know? Don't settle for plan B. And so maybe right now as we pray, you just tell God, God, I need some encouragement here. You know? I really need some encouragement. And God will encourage you. For others of you, you know, maybe it clicked today. Maybe it clicked today that, what, God loves me that much? Yeah, God loves you so much that while we were still far, far away from him, he sent his son Jesus to come and die for us, to be our savior, to save us from our sin, you know? And maybe for some of you, maybe today is that day where you say, you know, I'm going to accept Jesus as my savior, you know? that I've tried doing life, I've been, I've been living a plan B. Maybe it's about time I, I turn to God and plan A for my life. God says in his word in Ephesians that you are his masterpiece. That you are his masterpiece. Created in Christ Jesus to do these good works. God has a plan A for you. You know, He does. He looks at you, you're mad. Oh, you don't know, you don't know what I've done. You don't know what I've been a part of. doesn't matter. Because you're God's masterpiece. And it doesn't matter 
Because he sent Jesus to come and die for you. And when Jesus has come in, and he's your savior, we can have confidence that whatever we've done, the Bible says what? If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. As far as the east is from the west, that's how far sin is from God. That's, that's what Jesus does for us. And I want to encourage you, if you've never accepted Jesus as your Savior, let today be the day. Say, God, and we're going to pray. Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray. If you've never accepted Jesus as your Savior, just pray along with me, all right? You know, Heavenly Father, I've been living Plan B. Hasn't worked out. I ask you now to just come and, and Jesus, will you be my Savior? That I need a Savior. Thank you for dying for me, for my sin. Thank you for paying my penalty. And I accept you as my Savior today. Father, I want so bad to live in your plan A. I'm tired of plan B. Will you begin to direct my steps into your plan A for my life? And God will say to you, amen, I will. Thank you. And for some of us, right where you're at, say, God, I need help. I need some reassurance. I'm tempted. Turn to plan B, C, D, and F. I don't see your plan A happening for me. And you just give that to the Lord. Just give that to the Lord. Thank you, Lord. Father, you know our hearts. Thank you for Abraham. That we can learn from his, his story. Thank you that you are the promise-making, promise-keeping God. Thank you, you're the God that reassures us and gives us what we need, when we need it. Thank you, you're the God of plan A, that we don't ever have to turn to plan B. Will you now come and encourage people here who are in need of encouragement? Turn them back, face them back to plan A. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen.